Father, we have come today because we believe with all of our hearts there's none stronger than you. We worship you and we, we give ourselves to you as we give this time of worship to you. And we pray that you would be glorified as we've come together today. And we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
We are glad to have uh, new and returning students uh, back on campus, and uh, we are looking forward to a great semester. There are a lot of things that are kicking in today here at the church. Sunday school starts uh, right after this service. You see a list of adult classes, and there are classes uh, that are graded for children. And uh, we encourage you, love to have you be a part of Sunday school. If you need, if you have questions about that or need to, information about where classes meet, uh, people will be in the back to help you this morning or also in the Christian Education Building directly behind us. And we will help, uh, help you find the places where you, you want to go. You'll notice that there's a change in uh, children's church this morning. For one thing, we are starting a, uh, a junior church for uh, children kindergarten through third grade. And both, uh, both the junior church and children's church will be dismissed following the prayer a little bit later in the service than, we, than typically when we dismiss during the offering. So just note that. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we are going to come together to pray. And we're praying for the uh, beginning of the school year. We're praying for the needs and the burdens that we have as a congregation that we know of in our world. Uh, pastors will be available to anoint with oil and pray for healing for those of you who would like to do that. Uh, it's just a simple time together of coming to pray and uh, pouring out our hearts before God. So we, uh, we invite you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary to join our, our hearts together in prayer. Uh, also, Koinonia begins tonight, and uh, actually in a couple of moments, we're going to be offering a prayer of commissioning upon the, all the people who lead in Koinonia ministry. This worship ministry on Sunday nights meets in Wesley Chapel, and uh, this is something you're, everyone's invited to be a part of that, and we do want to pray for the leaders of this, of the, of the, um, this worship time, as we will in a moment. There are lots of uh, ways for you to get involved. There are ministry opportunities uh, as you see on the insert in your bulletin with children and youth, music, uh, all kinds of things here. Love to have you involved in ministry. It's a great way to grow in our faith by giving of ourselves. So you can uh, drop those in the offering plate uh, a little bit later or hand them to, there's also a box in the back, you can drop it in or just get it to the church office and sometime this week and we will make contact with you about uh, connecting you with that ministry. There are uh, also a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin things related to us specifically as well as things around the world. And, of course, we're probably aware of events happening in different places of the world. Uh, but uh, some of these places are specifically uh, difficult for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, in Egypt, Christians are being targeted. Uh, there are uh, the, the um, Muslim Brotherhood is uh, placing the blame for the president being ousted on the Christians and there are many repercussions for that. Uh, a little 10-year-old girl was uh, shot earlier this week walking from a Bible study at her church. Uh, they are putting X's on the doors of Christians uh, in order to, uh, to uh, plan violence against them. It's a, it's a difficult time to be in Egypt, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. At the same time, there, um, we know the situation in Syria as well. And we see the horrific things happening there. Christians are also being targeted in uh, this nation as well, and also in Nigeria. Uh, specifically in these places, uh, Christians are being singled out as, uh, to, for persecution, for uh, opposition, and a lot of violence. And our brothers and sisters, uh, I, as I was talking with Don Little this morning, he said, you know, they, they, one of their greatest concerns is that they're forgotten. And for us, people on the other side of the world, it is easy to forget and so today we want to remember, and so we pray together and throughout this week and in the weeks ahead 
to remember our brothers and sisters uh, in places of the world where they don't have the privileges and the freedoms that we have and are facing dire circumstances. So we do want to pray for them today as well as uh, in the days to come. I mentioned the Koinonia ministry and uh, the, the work that the, the leaders do. And we want to just take a few moments this morning to, uh, to pray for the leaders of Koinonia. I'm going to ask them to come stand here in front along with Pastor Kevin who works with them, leads them. And uh, I'm going to ask us the congregation to stand as a sign of our support as we pray for them. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worship, for uh, the opportunities we have to come together in a variety of ways to extol your greatness and to come together to pray and to pour out our hearts before you and to read your word and to share uh, our lives with each other. We thank you for the ministry of Koinonia that you have used in powerful ways for a number of years. And we anticipate another year of uh, great things happening through this ministry. We pray for the team that stands before us this morning. They are investing a great deal of time and energy in order to, to lead all who come to Koinonia. We pray that you will give to them first and foremost your heart. Help them in everything that they do to desire to honor you and to glorify you. We pray that you will use them in the planning and the preparation that they make. And as they stand before people who gather, we pray that they will all disappear so that the focus will be entirely upon you. We pray that you will use this ministry and the efforts of those who stand before us to do amazing things in the lives of this community, this campus. Lord, pour out your abundant grace and blessing upon each of them. Protect them. Keep them close to you. Help them to know in greater ways your love, your grace upon their lives. And may they grow in the love and grace of Christ throughout this whole year. We send them forth to serve in your name and for your glory. And we pray it through Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At this time, we'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, worship Your holy name. The sun up, it's a new day dawning, it 
It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the come together to offer our prayers. If you'd like to pray at the altar rail, please come and join me.
Father, we come today recognizing there are a lot of needs and concerns that we bring with us. We pray that you will heal the sick and comfort all who are grieving. We pray that you would work in our relationships to restore, to reconcile, to do what we might think in the moment is impossible. Hear our prayers, Father, for all of the burdens that we sense and know and struggle with among ourselves. Father, we pray today for the world. We think especially of Egypt, of Syria, Nigeria. We pray, Father, for an end to the violence and the wars and the unbelievable ways in which human beings can treat each other. We pray for our brothers and sisters in these countries who are facing such persecution, living in fear and anxiety and concern for themselves, for family members, for other Christians in the country. We pray for your protection upon them. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, help them to know that we have not forgotten them. Help them to know the prayers of their brothers and sisters here and around the world as we gather to ask for your grace in their lives. Father, we pray about this new academic year. We are so privileged to be in a place of learning. A place where many of us can share with others things that we have learned. We ask, Father, that this will be an exciting year of growing in intellect and in spiritual maturity. Work your power and your grace among us. And we pray, Father, that we will... We will know your spirit alive in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits. Father, we need you. Help us to know your grace in our lives this day and every day. Give us power through your Holy Spirit to walk in your ways. And we ask all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Again, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, the children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Please stand as we sing. Lost or saved, find their way at the sound of your
I know this is not um, news to you, but life isn't fair. And that really bugs me. You know? I think all of my life it's bugged me that life isn't fair. I hate things that are not fair. That's why I was a child when all of my family, when you know, everyone in the country loved the Waltons. I hated that show. It's too real life. It was unfair too often. Same with Little House on the Prairie. I mean, besides the fact that it competed with Monday Night Football, that was a whole other story. But, you know, uh, Gilligan's Island. I mean, these are good people. How often, how long are they going to let Gilligan keep destroying their chances to get rescued? I I, I don't, you know, it's always bugged me. I have this image in my mind of being, I don't know, maybe eight years old, nine years old maybe, and our family was on vacation. We were staying in a motel. And, you know, those were the days back in the, the old times when you only had three channels on the television. Uh, and, well, PBS, that was the fourth one. Um, and so we were there, and, and some movie came on that we started watching. It was a Western. I think it had Henry Fonda in it, but I don't remember exactly. But in the very opening scene, this guy and his son are in a general store out in the Old West. And some bullies come in and they start picking on the store owner. And this guy stands up for him. And it ends up in a fight. And this kid, his kid watches his father being stabbed to death. And I, I can picture my mind sitting on the floor at the end of the bed watching this movie. And I'm just sobbing. Because it just seems so unfair to me for that to happen. 
I think it kind of scared my parents what was going on here. They kept saying, it's just a movie, it's just a movie. And I'm thinking, but it's also real life. Stuff like this happens. And, and it bugs me and it gets down into my spirit and I, and I hate it that life isn't fair. And yet all around us, we see it continually. Life isn't fair. We're reminded every day in all kinds of ways, life isn't fair. And when we read the 37th Psalm, I can almost hear the psalmist in the background whispering, life isn't fair, and it really bugs me. You know, this, this psalm, I guess, sort of summed up in a nutshell is, God, why do ungodly people prosper? And why, why is it that the righteous people don't? It's not fair. And over and over again, we just read the first six verses. There are 40 in this psalm. And over and over again, the psalmist comes back. David comes back to that idea. Lord, why is it that the ungodly, ungodly people continue to prosper in this world? Why is it that they are successful? Why do they get what they want? And righteous people don't. It's not right, Lord. But David takes that, actually takes it a step further. It's not just this isn't fair. There is underlying what David says, Lord, it's not just unfair. I'm actually a bit jealous. Because I would love to have what these people have. The ungodly are successful. They're famous. They're powerful. They're wealthy. And I want what they want, what they have. I think we can relate to that a little bit. I think we relate to the fact that there are people in the world that we look at and say, why is it that they have all of this and I don't? Why is it that that they get power and, and Christians don't? Why is it that they get wealth and we don't? Why are they famous and we're not? Something deep inside of us is just a tad or maybe a lot envious of them. And David says, I know, Lord, that it's not the right mindset, but I'm struggling. And you and I struggle with that. And David's solution is to remind us that everything we look at that these people have, all that we on this earth consider prosperity and success... All of this stuff they're accumulating, whether it's power or fame or wealth, all that they are getting is going to disappear. It's fleeting. It's like dust in the wind. It is one of the repeated things that David says throughout this psalm. In verses 1, to two, one and 2, right off the bat... He says, don't fret because of evil people or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. He knows their day is coming. Verse 15, their swords will pierce their own hearts. Their bows will be broken. The power of the wicked will be broken. The wicked will perish. They will be like beauty of the, the beauty of the fields. They will vanish like smoke. 
And when we, when we get jealous and envious of people who have all of this stuff, who are getting all of these things, and we, don't, we aren't, one of the most important things to do is to remember all of this stuff that we may want, that we think is so great, is going to disappear. It's going to disappear in eternity, certainly. It is going, it, it's not going to matter. All of the stuff we accumulate is not going to matter when our life on this earth ends. And we all know that. I don't think anybody here is going to stand up and say, wait a second, I think everything I get now I'm taking with me. I don't see us doing that. We know better than that. But we forget. And we get so wrapped up in, in the way the culture values success that we want it to. And it often becomes the desires of our heart. It's not just that it's going to end at, in eternity. It's not just that it ends, it's fleeting for, for all time where after our life in this world ends. You talk to people who accumulate all of this stuff and they will be the first ones to tell you it's fleeting, even now. I mean, if it's not fleeting now, then corporate executives who have more money than they know what to do with wouldn't rob the pension funds of people who are trying to eke out a living. If, if the stuff that we have now was really satisfying and it really accomplished what we hoped it did, you wouldn't have, you know, John Rockefeller, when he was asked how much money is enough, he wouldn't say just a little bit more. And you wouldn't have people who spend the, their, the first part of their lives doing everything possible to become famous and having adoring, worshiping fans and then spend the rest of their life trying to get away from them. Right? I mean, you hear it all the time from people. I, I always find that humorous. That people who have spent their lives trying to become famous and recognized and, and people who, you know, they, they want people to know who they are and they love it when people, you know, recognize them on the street... But the moment that happens and it starts becoming a burden and they don't want it anymore. Because it doesn't really do what we were hoping it would do. It's fleeting. And David says, remember that. It helps to keep us focused. And actually, it's not just about forgetting the things that we might want it's about keeping our focus on God. That really is the key. The key is not just to remember the stuff is going to disappear. It's about focusing our attention on God, who is the only one who can give us what we truly, deep down inside, want. It's about getting our attention on God. And David tells us over and over again in this psalm, it is about God first, foremost, and only. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. 
It's all about focusing our attention on God. And he says, when our attention is focused on God, things begin to fall into place. The question is, what does it mean to focus our attention on God? What does it mean to, to look at God? And he, he loves using the term, says, wait on God, commit yourself to God, trust in God, hope in God. All of these words that he uses to try to describe the mindset in a person who is focused on God instead of on this stuff. In, in verse 3, he says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That's how the NIV translates it. But the NASB, the New American Standard says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Or as Robert Alter says, dwell in the land and keep faith. And that word keep faith, he says, really intrinsically it means to, to shepherd trust. He says it can mean to chase after trust. I have this image in my mind of a shepherd who is so focused on finding the, a lost little lamb that he will go anywhere and do anything to find it. He will climb over mountains. He will put his own, own life in peril. He will walk as far as he needs to walk, climb as high as he needs to climb or as low as he needs to climb in order to find that lamb. And that's the picture that David the shepherd paints for us. It's about chasing after trust. That we trust, we want to develop a heart of trust so desperately that we will go anywhere, do anything. It becomes the passion of our lives to trust God, to learn how to trust God, to develop a heart of trust for God. It is what drives us. It's what motivates us. And we will go anywhere, do anything in order to learn deeper ways of trusting God. It's hard for us because trusting God means, it implies, the very fact of trusting God means that God is going to deal with us in ways that we would rather he didn't. And that's a lot of our problem. To trust God who always gives us what we want isn't really trust. We only really are trusting God when we don't understand what's happening. When we're waiting for God to work when God is working in ways that confuse us or disappoints us, that's what it means to trust God. And somehow in the mix of trusting God, we come to believe that God is good despite what may or may not be happening to us. In one of his writings, C.S. Lewis talks about where he says, I, 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 think it was, he said, I think it was Augustine who said that God has so much he wants to give us but our hands are so full of the stuff of this world that we have no place to put it. Trusting God means letting go of that stuff. He said, or it's like a friend of his who says, our relationship with God is often like an airman's relationship to a parachute. We're, we're glad it's there, but we really hope we don't have to use it. We were glad God's around. We're glad God cares about us, but we really hope we don't have to get ourselves into positions of life where we really have to trust God. 
we just assume life wouldn't be like that. And yet the only way in which we will truly grow in our relationship with God, the only way in which we will know intimacy with God, the only way in which we will experience peace and joy and real life as we were created to experience is in relationship with God, in deepening our relationship with God. And the only way to do that is to learn to trust God. Just like parents and children or any other relationship we have. It's when that relationship is put to the test and we, be, and we are trustworthy in it that trust develops. Don Joy, who was a professor at Asbury Seminary when Cindy and I were students there, tells a story about his son who, uh, who bought a, an old, really old used car. And uh, he, he bought it with his own money they, you know, and, and got this car and right away started having trouble with it. The radiator started leaking and he would fill it with antifreeze and within two days it would all be gone. So he's spending all of this money continuing to put antifreeze in. So he takes it to a mechanic, he gets it fixed. Costs him quite a bit of money. Pretty soon he has more trouble, hose uh, breaks. And so he's got a friend who says, I'll help you fix that. And in the process of fixing the hose, the guy puts a screw through another part of the radiator. They don't realize it till a couple days later. So they filled up the radiator again with antifreeze. And two days later, here it is, all leaked out again. So now he's got to take that to somebody to have that fixed. And he is racking up quite a bill. 16-year-old kid, using up all of his money. And Don Joy says, my wife and I talked about how do we respond to this? What's the right thing to do? He said, we had three options. One was to tell him, why do you keep wasting your money on this car? It was a bad decision to begin with. And we punish him for doing something stupid. The second option was to give him the money he needed and to rescue him. He said, and that's what our hearts were wanting to do. And the third option was to let him learn the lesson the hard way and have to deal with it, pay for it, struggle with it. So he had this car for about three months. He'd only been able to drive it a couple of days. And here he'd sunk all this money into it anyway. And so we chose option three. It about killed us. They have to tell him, look, you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for this. He said, something, everything in my being wanted to reach into my wallet and hand him the cash that he needed. But I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. And it was hard for him. And he did not really understand our decision. But he said, now that he is grown, he has his own family. He's an entrepreneur with a business, a number of employees. And he said, I go to him for financial advice. There is something of the way God deals with us in that. We want God to rescue us. We want God to come and to eliminate the problems. We want to use God as, you know, as, as sort of our magic genie for helping us get through life. But God has deeper things for us than just rescuing us. He wants more for us. He wants us to know what it means to trust him because only in trust can we know genuine joy and life and what we were created to be. And so he lets us struggle sometimes. He lets life be unfair sometimes because more often than not, when life is difficult, that's when we run to him. 
It's when life is easy and good, we tend to think, I've got this covered, I'm on my own, I can handle it. But when life gets hard, that's when we say, God, what am I going to do? I need you. And we begin to learn what it means to trust him. And here's the amazing thing. When God is our passion, when trusting God is our passion, all of a sudden, we begin to experience, we begin to get the desires of our hearts. Because now, the desire of our heart is what God wants. And all the frivolous stuff that we so often desire, all of the stuff that's fleeting begins to fade and our focus is on God and something amazing happens in our lives. And we just keep wanting more and more and more of Him. And we find in Him not a life that's necessarily easy, not a life that's certainly free of all pain and struggle and difficulty, not by any means. But despite all that's happening, a life of joy and a life of peace and a life full of grace and a life in which we start looking like what God created us to look like. And what deep down in our souls we truly want to be. It's hard for me to know what level of trust in God you come with today. Some of you may come with very little, if any, trust of God. Others of you may have been trusting God for decades. But of one thing I am convinced. All of us need to continue to develop more and more a life of trust. Wherever we are on the continuum, there's one more step, one deeper decision about trusting God. There's more God wants to give us. There's more God wants to pour out into our lives. There's more God wants to do in our hearts. Do we have that passion for Him? to trust in Him, to commit our ways to Him, to chase after trust that we might truly experience the desires of our hearts. Holy Father, we wrestle with so much about life in this world. So much that confuses us and burdens us and troubles us. And Lord, today we want to declare that despite all that may be happening in our lives or in this world, that we trust you. And more than that, that we want to be people who continue to chase after trust. 
in this moment of silence, hear the cry of our hearts. Hear our prayers. Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.